You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, I am Matt Williamson. This is a Locked On NFL podcast. You can find me on Twitter at WilliamsonNFL. I urge you to check out the rest of the Locked On Network. Lots going on right now. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. And please remember, you can subscribe to the show now on the new Himalaya podcast app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, do me a huge favor and tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On NFL. Um, I told you I was going to bring on a new guest this Friday, and that's exactly what we're going to do. I brought in Paul. Please pronounce your last name so I don't have to. Perdikiz. <laughs> From the Saturday to Sunday podcast. I, Paul was on with Paul, what, about a week or so ago on your podcast. It was a blast, so I figured we'd just kind of do a, a home-and-home home series here, brother. Absolutely. Really excited to be here. Huge fan of your work. Always enjoy talking to you. So big honor to be here. Oh, thanks so much. This is your first one. Hopefully not your last. We'd love to have you back. And we've spent a lot of time since the draft, particularly when I'm chatting with Mark Schofield about landing spots for quarterbacks. And I want to do that today with the top drafted running backs. And of course, this is going to have a heavy fantasy feel to it. We're not doing, going to ignore the fantasy implications at all. So you up for it, Paul? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. I think it's a very unique running back class. So it'll be kind of, yeah. kind of fun to you know look at the landscape of where they ended up. Yeah, I, I guess before we mention Josh Jacobs and start at the top, I do think it's very unique because more so than most land or classes, I thought landing spot was extremely important for the future success of these guys. Because they, they do have holes, they do have strong skill sets that has to be used properly. And I gotta admit too, like when they start falling off the board, I mean one, two, three, four, five third rounders and another four fourth rounders, they went a little earlier than I thought. There was a run here that I didn't quite expect. I thought teams could wait on a running back a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things that every NFL team now, except for a handful, I think are really looking for two, three running backs to be, you know, part of committees. I think a lot of people are looking at the Patriots and their specialized roles. Mm -hmm. So I think people kind of saw this draft class where it didn't have a lot of top end talent, but I guess maybe teams looked at it as they had their favorites and they didn't want to kind of let it just go by the wayside and hope that maybe they were there in round five or round six. And I think some teams probably reached a little bit earlier, whether it's round three instead of round four or round four and set around five to try to get the guy that maybe they thought best, you know, fit their scheme, best complemented mm-hmm. what they already had on their depth chart. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I, I do like where a lot of these guys landed. And let's start right at the top here with Josh Jacobs. Is Before the draft, there was no slam dunk guarantee, you know, top, number one guy or number one pick, first round pick. Um, no one we thought would go in the top ten. But it also wasn't much of a secret that Oakland at the end of the first round, probably it was a good chance Josh Jacobs was going to land there. And I think it works out well for him. Yeah, I mean, I think the landing spot is perfect. I think John Gruden wants a running back that can play on all three downs, be the focal point of that offense. And I think Jacobs could do that. He doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his body. You know, at Alabama, he was a part of a committee there. And I love his dual versatility to be a guy who could impact in the running game, but also be a big weapon out of the passing game. He's got some Alvin Kamara to him, but then he's got some Mark Ingram to him in terms of his physicality and toughness. So I think it was an ideal landing spot. I think he's going to be the bell cow there for Oakland. And I think it was was about 
as good of a landing spot, I think, as you could have found in round one in terms of opportunity and what maybe the coaching staff wants to do with a running back. Yeah, I mean, say what you want about Gruden, particularly as a GM and whatnot. I think he's a good schemer. You know, like, I thought he did a really good job scheming up Jared Cook last year, even though the nothing around the guy. Um, you're already reading that Jacobs has said, yeah, I'm aligning out wide. I'm aligning in the slot in mini camps already. I mean, I think he's going to be used all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and it's interesting, one of those things that, you know, once Marshawn Lynch, I think it was a couple days before the draft, decided that he wasn't going to play. I mean, everybody was penciling in Jacobs for one of those Oakland first round picks in the 20s that it was interesting that Oakland kind of had to sit there and say, well, you know, will he kind of fall to us? And basically every other team in the NFL kind of had to know that if they wanted Jacobs, they were probably going to have to leapfrog Oakland in that, you know, that 20, the pick in the 20s there. If not, they were going to get an opportunity for him. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And I know a negative on him was, well, was he even really the starter on his own team? Or, you know, it, it wasn't the bell cow at Alabama. And you mentioned Kamara. Neither was Kamara. Um, it wasn't like he wasn't the bell cow at Akron or Pitt where I used to be. I mean, there was good players on that in that Bama backfield. Not to mention, it seemed to me that when the going got tough and they were in tight games, which often wasn't the case for Alabama, Jacobs was in the backfield. Yeah, I mean, listen, Najee Harris was a big-time recruit. Mm -hmm. Damian Harris is a really good running back in his own right. So, and I think you're right. When, as the schedule, you know, as the season shifted to be, you know, later into the winter months and we were getting close to, you know, the playoffs, you started to see Josh Jacobs in those bigger games against Georgia, you know, the games in the playoffs. You started seeing Jacobs have a lot more opportunity, be on the field a lot more, because I don't think Nick Saban, you know, he was going to put out his best in the biggest moments early in the year September October early November he was able to split it between three guys and you know with that offensive line and how much they would manhandle people you know he didn't need to really overly rely on Jacobs but as the year went on you started to see him be a little bit more utilized and I think you know that was kind of Saban's way of saying he's the guy that I trust the most right now I think he's got the best talent kind of rising to the top yeah yeah I agree uh, Miles Sanders was the only second round pick goes to the Eagles um, he grew up here in Pittsburgh, went to Woodland Hills High School, was a huge, huge recruit, big-time football school. Um, I watched him a fair amount, obviously, at Penn State. And I like him. I recognize that there's a lot of talent there, but I do have concerns. Not so much with the landing spot, because I think the Eagles are an A-plus organization and built for the long haul. But I do think he has, you know, playing behind Superman for those couple of years in Penn State, I'm not sure did him favors. I think they sit in that running back room and he thinks, I can do that. I was a five-star recruit. And, well, you can't quite do what Barkley did in terms of breaking long runs. And sometimes I think he needs to take what is given to him a little bit more. Maybe he'll learn that. And he's absolutely a fumbler. Uh, that worries me quite a bit. In terms of landing spot, I think the people are kind of throwing uh, Howard into his grave already. I think he's a, still a pretty good runner. And one thing about, you know, I'm kind of talking about the small things of playing the running back position. Howard is great in protection. I don't know that Sanders is. So he may have a little slower rise, in my opinion, to high production. Yeah, I mean, Miles Sanders is one of those guys that, 
obviously the Eagles has an offense that's built for sustained success. So a lot of people are excited about him. I like Miles Sanders. He was number three in terms of talent pre-draft. I think your concerns about ball security and uh, protection are legitimate concerns. And also about his decisiveness that you talked about. He did sometimes try to make the impossible and watching Saquon Barkley probably had something to do with that. I think he's got to be a little bit more decisive at the NFL level as the athletes are quicker, faster on defense. I do think it'll be fascinating to kind of see the Eagles, their approach to this, because it's one of those things is Doug Peterson used a stable of backs a la the Patriots because he felt that that was what he needed to do or and he didn't have a true three down back. Or is it one of those scenarios that he just didn't think the guys on his roster were capable of being three down back? So he kind of split the roles. It'll be interesting to see if Sanders kind of gets him away from those specialized roles and and takes on more of the heavy workload there. But you mentioned they traded for Jordan Howard, who I I don't think is just going to be kicked to the side. I think he'll definitely have a role early on. So it's going to be interesting to see if he becomes that three down guy or just a part of what the Eagles have used in the past. Yeah, yeah, I I hear you. It's funny because I do a lot of Steeler stuff and I've often gone on Coach Tomlin. Boy, he rides, takes his running back and runs him into the ground. Yeah, but then you think about it and it's like, well, if it's Lev Bell, who should you take out of the game in 2016 for Lev Bell? You know what I mean? And the year that he had Mark Pegram and guys like that, or Isaac Redman, well, he used a committee. I mean, if you have a stud, you're going to play him. And I do think Sanders could be a stud, but I just have a hunch it might be next year. Yeah, I think I think this year I could see Howard definitely having a legitimate role. They traded for him. He's a guy who I think they're going to kind of want to get Sanders acclimated to the offense a little bit, to being a pro, to make sure that ball security in a close game. You know, you might see Jordan Howard kind of finishing it off if they're still, you know, kind of feeling him out a little bit to make sure that ball security doesn't pop up in a big moment and cost them a game. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, folks, today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. All right, Paul and I went over the the two guys that were taken in the top two rounds. But then there was a flurry. A, a running back went at 70 overall. 73, 74. And those three guys, Daryl Henderson to the Rams, David Montgomery to the Bears, Devin Singletary to the Bills. Very different players. Um, I got to say, I'm very excited about Montgomery, very intrigued by Henderson, and I don't see it with Singletary. Who do you want to start with? Let's start with Montgomery because I know when you were on my podcast, we talked a lot about how we really take note when a team invests by trading up to get a running back. And we talked about the Bears not having a lot of draft capital, and they still made an aggressive move using a pick from next year to get into position to draft David Montgomery. There's been a lot of comps between, you know, David Montgomery could play the role of like a Kareem Hunt, you know, obviously there in that offense, you know, coming from a Kansas City style. So I. I'm a fan of Montgomery. I think the landing spot is ideal. I think that offense is is an offense on the rise. I think Cohen, they want to keep him in that specialized role. So I think Montgomery is in a perfect landing spot to have immediate impact in terms of production. I think he's a a dark horse in terms of rookie of the year possibilities. Mm -hmm. I I really like the landing spot for Montgomery. Yeah, I've said that a couple times too about rookie of the year. If I went and looked at the odds – I bet you get pretty good odds on him, and it wouldn't shock me if he ended up racking up 1,400 yards and eight or nine touchdowns. And, you know, I think he's got a chance to have a big-time rookie year. 
I think the Kareem Hunt usage in comparison is a really good one. Like, even when Hunt came out of school, I know he proved me wrong, I didn't think he'd run away from anybody. You know, I mean, he, he didn't come in the league as a speedster, and he did break long ones, and I was shocked. I don't think Montgomery will run away from anyone, but I think he's a good, uh, adequate to good receiver that should improve. But he is such a powerful, great contact balance guy, pinball type of player, that he reminds me a lot of Hunt that way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought up the receiving thing because while Tariq Cohen will be the focal point of the receiving running back on that roster, David Montgomery is not someone who can't catch the ball. When right. He's had an opportunity in college. I thought he looked really comfortable catching the ball, and I think that he had three-down capabilities. Whether he's asked to do it with regularity there is, is another thing that we kind of got to wait on, but I could see him still catching, even if Tariq Cohen's the guy in ideal passing situations on third down, I still think Montgomery if he's the early down guy is going to get, you know, 30 passes potentially, you know, in the year where he catches on first and second down, he's got capabilities to, to be a check down option on early downs on passing plays. So I think that's a kind of a little bit of a bonus there in addition to the yards he's going to accumulate and, and probably get a lot of touchdown opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think he'll be more than adequate as a dump off option. I don't know that like we talked about with Jacobs, he's going to split out wide and one run wide receiver routes. I think Daryl Henderson might, though, and a lot of big playability. We mentioned the Chiefs running back. I see some Jamal Charles in him. I think the writing's on the wall about Gurley. They can sugarcoat it all they want, but going back to last year, I mean, their actions speak much louder than their words and how they, how they view Gurley. I think if Henderson gets a chance, he could put up huge numbers, and even if Gurley's healthy, I think they'd be smart to at least say, let's give Todd... 80% of what we gave him before. Yeah, I mean, Sean McAvoy is one of the best offensive minds in the NFL, and the all their motion that they utilize with the wide receivers, there's going to be some openings that Henderson's going to get an opportunity to make those big plays. I mean, when you watch his college film, it sometimes he's wide He's going to see some of those opportunities, you know, because of all the motion, because the threat of, you know, the three wide receivers that they have there. So even if Gurley is healthy, I think you're right. I think they're going to find a way to get Darrell Henderson, you know, eight, nine, ten touches a game, whether it's a couple of receptions, you know, and six to eight carries. And if something ever happens to Gurley, if the, the injury is more serious, I mean, this guy could potentially be a star in terms of that offense and his big play capabilities. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's a very intriguing prospect, and he's one of the few, although I do think he fits that zone scheme extremely well, he's one of the few that I don't really care where he landed, My, I I'd still would have an eyebrow up looking at him. I think he's got a chance to be a really good player. Yeah, and he actually runs with more physicality and toughness than some people might think just, you know, kind of watching him and hearing people discuss him about his big playability. Sometimes you kind of associate those guys with guys who aren't, you know, tough and physical as well. I think they're, he, didn't, he didn't have to do it a lot because his, his lanes were so wide open and he used his speed and athleticism. But you see him on film, too. He's not afraid, you know, the, to finish off runs by putting his head down. So I think he's got some toughness and physicality to kind of go with that explosion as well. Yeah, the last one of these three that went in that the four-pick range is Singletary to the Bills. And I know he's highly productive. I, I think he's got good balance, really good balance and exceptional vision. I just think that his body is lacking. I mean, I mean in size, burst, physicality. And I, I think he sees things that he doesn't quite get to at the NFL level. 
And I know people think of him and say, boy, he's going to be the next Shady McCoy and he'll be the longtime starter in Buffalo. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe that's true. I think he's more like the long-term number two in Buffalo. Yeah, I'm right there with you. You know, the Shady McCoy comps, I understand that he had, you know, Singletary, I think his best attribute is his vision. And his vision sometimes enables those cuts at the college level to mm-hmm. look a, a little bit more lethal than I think they were when the athletes he was going up against are going to be significantly better. I, I didn't see it as a, as a guy who should be a top 100 pick because when I watch him, I, I just – I struggle to know where his calling card at the NFL level is going to be. He's not a good receiver, so he's not going to be a right. guy that I think impacts the game in terms of his pass catching ability or as a third down guy. He's not much of a pass protector, so he, third down I think is off the table with him. In terms of short yardage and goal line, I don't know if he's got the size and frame to – he runs tough and he's physical and he carried a heavy workload, but is his size and frame going to hold up as being a short yardage runner pounding it in, inside you know, at the NFL level? So I don't think he's really a short yardage or goal line runner so then what is he is he just an yeah is is he an early down to me he's an early down runner that is probably going to complement eventually a a more diversified you know versatile type player that that eventually buffalo is going to look to bring in to kind of be you know the guy that kind of develops with josh allen there yeah you know as the focal point of that offense yeah i'm with you um the next two guys to round out the third-round picks, Damian Harris goes to the Patriots, Madison goes to the Vikings. And kind of like we talked about Henderson's reflection upon the drafting of Henderson, how that reflects on Gurley, I look at the Harris pick and think they're not happy or have any faith in Sony Michelle to stay as a long-term guy. We know he had knee injuries coming out. They never threw him the ball. And I think it's less true in Minnesota but I also think they had to prioritize a backup to Cook because he misses so much time. Yeah, I mean, the Damian Harris thing, you're, you're right. It has to say something about Sony Michelle yeah. and I think the health concerns. But, you know, listen, the Belichick-Saban relationship is strong. So I'm sure Belichick really, you know, discussed, you know, Harris and Saban probably gave him, you know, a very glowing review in terms of he does everything pretty well. So he's a guy that fits in with what the Patriots want to do. But, I mean, they did just invest a first-round pick in Sony Michelle to come back the following year year and invest a third round pick in another running back with James White still on the roster. To me, it kind of sends up the red flag that maybe they're a little bit more outwardly concerned about Sonny Michelle and that knee, or they just kind of envision they want both of those guys to kind of protect themselves. And then James White, maybe they move on from Rex Burkhead sooner rather than later. And they want two guys, but it definitely, I think, impacts what Sonny Michelle in terms of his output, because I could see now Damian Harris being the guy who's more of the short yardage and goal line guy, you know, potentially in that. And then, you know, and then maybe backing up early down. So I think it's really interesting. And Madison, I think, you know, I thought he was more, much more of a day three guy. They obviously targeted him. They smartly traded back, traded back, accumulated other assets and got him right at the back end of round three because I think they knew that they can get him there. And I love Dalvin Cook's talent. I know you do as well, but obviously he's had some struggles staying healthy. So they look at Madison. He is a little bit of a three down player. He's, he's good in pass protection. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. But I think his talent level, I thought it was about average to above average i didn't see any elite traits with him that makes me think he's gonna push dalvin cook but i think they targeted him as a guy that they really like maybe in that latavius murray role and a guy that if something happens to dalvin cook could at least handle a heavy workload yeah yeah well said and i think with kubiak there 
there could be running back production to be had. And if he is a, a starter for a month or something, if Cook's out, he could produce well. But he is a number two to me. Um, we're going to be right back. We're going to talk about some of these day three guys in a moment. All right, Paul. Some of these guys, I don't want to talk about all the day three picks because there's a lot of, there's 25 running backs taken in this draft. I, I didn't realize that many until I pulled up drafthistory.com here and started looking at them. A couple that I just want to pull out. I like the Justice Hill pick to the Ravens. Clearly, their emphasis this offseason is let's get speed around the fastest quarterback in the league or one of them. And I think Hill fits that. He's a great spark or dude. But he's not great in protection either. I mean, he, he's very different than Ingram. Um, but I kind of like his landing spot. Yeah, I actually love his landing spot. Yeah. I think I think he's one of those guys. And I know it's not an apples for apples comparison because uh, last year Philip Lindsay was a UDFA. But if there's a under-the-radar running back this year who could have a Philip Lindsay-like impact, I think it's Justice Hill. And I know they want Mark Ingram to be the guy, and they probably have plans for Gus Edwards also. But I could see Hill being one of those guys that just keeps producing in that offense. The threat of Lamar Jackson running is going to open up rushing lanes. Hill's athleticism, big play ability is burst I thought he's got good vision cutting ability and he can catch the ball out of the backfield and make big plays I think he's going to be hard to keep off the field that I if this somebody that even kind of reciprocates what we saw out of Philip Lindsay last year I think it could be Justice Hill I love him in that offense it might take him some time to kind of work into a bigger role but I think once he gets on the field he's going to make things happen and you're going to kind of see him be a little bit more involved as the year goes on yeah he might be tough to get off the field when he gets on the field you know what I mean a couple big plays and okay you're not great in protection but we'll just not have you protect um, Henderson's backup, Tony Pollard, ends up with the Cowboys. And he may end up being number two on the depth chart, but if Elliott goes down, I don't think he's the immediate handcuff like a Madison. But that's an offense that's hurting for playmakers, and he's got a lot of receiving skills and return skills. I could see him being on the field with Elliott. I could see him being a nice satellite back. Yeah, I, I the guy I've comped him to a lot is Naheem Hines. Ooh, I think one. he's a... I think he's a guy that can can do a lot of different things, and I'm not sure the Cowboys want Ezekiel Elliott to catch 65 to 75 passes again. I'm not sure that that's maximizing Ezekiel Elliott. He, receiving capabilities have never been like something that he shined at. It's not that he couldn't do it, and we saw last year that he obviously could. But if they're looking to sign him up for another, you know, long term second deal, you know, they might want to say, listen, we want to preserve and keep the running Ezekiel Elliott as the focal point. We can't have him catching 70 dump-off passes also, you know, during the season. I think that I think that's where Tony Pollard could become a weapon. You know, maybe give him four or five carries a game, but then try to get him three, you know, to five catches as well. Line him up in the slot sometimes. Do wheel routes out of the backfield. He could be a returner. There is some statistical evidence out there that shows good, really good returners in the collegiate game translate better at the NFL just because they're, they're more impactful with the ball in their hands. So I kind of like Pollard. And like you said, mm -hmm. besides Amari Cooper, you know, who else really impacts the game in the open field in terms of their receiving capabilities for Dallas? No. Yeah, who's the playmaker? They, they need playmakers anywhere they can get them. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the second pick in the fifth round was Reichwell Armstead to the Jags. And I don't, I mean, we talked about Cook having injury issues. Well, four nets from the same draft class, has a hard time staying on the field, also doesn't contribute in the passing game. That offense is a little 1985-ish, but 
I think Armstead is like the perfect handcuff for Fournette to get him early fifth round. It wouldn't shock me at all if he ends up being their leading rusher this year. Yeah, and, and the thing that I think really stunned everybody with Armstead was I wasn't expecting a four four five forty. No, like, right, I, right. I, I, you know, like he the size physicality is his calling cards. You know, I I love that about him. I thought he had some good short area bursts and quickness, but I wasn't expecting that long speed as well. So you combine his physicality and toughness, delivers punishment, absorbs contact well. You know, and then he has some big play capability with that with that long speed as well. To me, he's like a Chris Carson type. Type, that I kind of wonder mm, that yeah. if Fournette goes down with an injury or, or something else off the field again, if Armstead gets on the field and if Jacksonville's offensive line could get back to being a good one, I could see Armstead kind of making some noise right away. And if, if Fournette does anything to kind of upset Marone and Coughlin, I could see if Armstead is imp- is impressing. They just say, you know what, we're, we're just going to ship Fournette out of here. We're not going to give him a second contract. Let's just move on. He's not worth the headache anymore. Because I do think Armstead could, could do a lot of what they want in that offense, you know, that power physical toughness game. Yeah, I think it's a real good fit that could pay off big for them. Um, last guy I want to bring up is the 194th pick in the draft, Dexter Williams. Goes from Notre Dame to the Packers. I'm a huge Aaron Jones fan. Um, I do think there's probably some hesitancy to give him a massive workload. I don't quite understand it, but that's partly because I'm not in the building with these guys. But I think at a minimum, I think Dexter Williams might make Jamal Williams obsolete. Yeah, I, I just did a podcast last night for over at Saturday Sunday, and, mm-hmm. I, and I labeled Dexter Williams a little bit of a sleeper guy that I don't think is getting enough attention uh, as a late-round guy. And I, I mentioned a lot of what you just said. I don't think Jamal Williams is locked in, and you are you sound like you're even higher than me on Aaron Jones. And I don't even know if Aaron Jones is locked in as you know they look at him and think he's their next starter for the next four or five years. And I definitely don't think that they think that about Jamal Williams. So I, you know, Dexter Williams is a guy who I didn't love pre-draft. I I kind of had him in like that 15 to 18 range in terms of my running backs. But I know there were some people, Len Zerline in particular was one who I respect his opinions a lot. He really liked Dexter Williams. He's got the size. He's got the frame. He's got good, you know, uh, average athletic, above average to good athleticism. And if he gets to the second level, I think he's got some bursts that he could take it to the house. The thing I question about him is for a guy his size, I don't know if he always played to that size in terms of his physicality and his strength to just kind of, you know, barrel over people. I think sometimes at Notre Dame, you didn't see that as much as I would like. And I don't I'm not really sure about his receiving capabilities. I I think that's an area where he has to kind of show that he's functional there. But I definitely think he can push Jamal Williams and be given an opportunity. And, you know, with that passing offense with Aaron Rodgers, you know, any running back that gets opportunity there, you know, could be a productive guy. So I think Dexter Williams is definitely going under the radar a little bit to at least kind of push Jamal Williams there. And, you know, as we continue to see what Aaron Jones uh, develops into. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's well said. Dude, this this segment, (laughs) this podcast went really fast, dude. I might have to have you back before the season, talk wide outs or tight ends or whatever. We didn't even touch on the entire running back class. Paul, this was a blast. Please tell my audience where they can find you on Twitter and your podcast. I urge everyone to go back and listen to when I was a guest and everything you're doing, please. Well, thank you so much for having me. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, it was an honor to be on here. You can find me on Twitter at Paulie23NY. 
The podcast handle is at S to S football. It's Saturday, Sunday football. Uh, me and my co-host Matt Caraccio all year scheme and trait based evaluation on the college players throughout their collegiate career as they're transitioning into the NFL, getting ready for the NFL draft, you know, all that a lot of information for Debbie leagues for dynasty rookie drafts and all that stuff. But we really just are passionate about what we do about evaluating these college prospects as they're getting ready for the NFL draft. Yeah. Very good stuff, folks. I will be back on Monday. Not um, even though it's Memorial day. I'm sure I'll get you something before Tuesday for sure. I don't have Steeler mini camp Monday with the holidays. So I'll figure out, I'll carve out a little bit of time. Uh, that is a wrap over and out.